This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Melinda Choi. Melinda studied political science and was on the verge of embarking on a dream job with Amnesty International when the passing of her mother compelled her to rethink her priorities. Witnessing her parents struggle with chronic pain and cancer made her reprioritize what she valued. She turned to studying acupuncture and launched a full-scale wellness clinic in Lake Tahoe called Elevate, which offers multiple healing modalities. Melinda, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you so much. I really feel honored to be selected and being able to be on your show. I'd like to start um, from the early days. So you're family migrated from Hong Kong and some lineage with mainland China and you came to the Bay Area to uh, was it Burlingame? Yeah so um, my father is from southern China and so he left during the communist revolution and went to Hong Kong and he met my mother there Mm -hmm. and then they immigrated to San Francisco when once the immigration opened again, I think in, in the late 60s, and I was born in San Francisco, but raised in Burlingame. Got you. And um, it sounds like uh, you're one of four siblings. And so all the sisters were born in San Francisco. That's right. Yep. All four of us within four years. <laughs> so between 1970 and 1974, my parents were very busy, and uh, fortunately, they did help my family come from Hong Kong, so my mother's side of the family came over, uh, her siblings, she was the eldest of seven children, and they also brought my grandmother over from Hong Kong, and so she spent a lot of time with us uh, as children, because both my parents, uh, they worked together, and they're entrepreneurs, they had their own business. Ah, now we see where some of that uh, inspiration comes from. (laughs) 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 What was it like growing up with your grandmother nearby? It was actually, you know, you don't, I don't really know anything different. So it's hard to say in relation to anything else, but in retrospect and thinking about it now, um, I, find incredibly fortunate because I think that it really brought me closer to my culture. And although they would deem me as ABC, American-born Chinese, uh, and I'm very American, but I still grew up with this really foundational, um, traditional culture as a part of my upbringing. And so uh, my grandma did all the cooking, you know, and she was I shared a room with her, so my younger sister and I shared a room with her, and every night she'd tell us ghost stories and these crazy (laughs) traditional kind of folklore. But she was, I would say that she's probably the first real influence in traditional Chinese medicine, because it's so ingrained in the culture in itself and how we eat 
and how the food is prepared and growing up with like a cabinet full of dried Chinese herbs and different tongs that she would make once a week, depending on like the season and what ailments might be going on in the household. It was, uh, I really owe so much of what I do today to her. And um, she would work and teach us. And even though, you know, I didn't want to listen, you know, I wanted to be American and, you know, grandma, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, she would yell at me of like, it's windy outside, cover the back of your neck. Don't go to bed with wet hair, you know? <laughs> I never understood what she meant by that. And so this isn't anything where she went to school, she was completely uneducated. She didn't know how to read or write, but these are just traditional ideas and even you could say superstitions or folklore or you could call it barefoot doctor anecdotes that were just passed down traditionally and so you know we very much can you know lend from that tradition today and I often try to teach my patients this type of method you know as much as I can so that they can implement it into their lifestyle and their culture without it really being medicine to them. Um, did you converse with your grandmother in Cantonese? Yes, she only spoke Cantonese. And so uh, it was my technically my first language. I've lost a lot of it now just, um, you know, growing in the time that we were raised, because my parents were part of that first wave of immigrants into yeah. the country. And I'm not sure whether or not you had that same experience. But when we had uh, when we had immigrated during that time, it was very, very much about assimilation. Yeah. So it was in order to be successful, you need to be able to speak English without a Chinese accent. So they didn't necessarily emphasize us maintaining our culture. You've shared with me before that um, at the age of 12, your family had a seminal life event. Your father was disabled. Yeah. So he was in a motor vehicle accident and him and my mom were together and they were rear ended. And my father was six foot three wow. Southern Chinese. <laughs> so he was a really big, tall man. It basically triggered um, some issues within his spine. So likely they were probably congenital, something that was already there. You know, he, uh, it triggered this cascade of events with uh, stenosis that uh, was both in his cervical and his lumbar spines. So through multiple surgeries and um, in and out of hospital stays for many, many years, you know, they tried to perform different strategies in order to get pressure off of his spine that um you know none of them were ever really effect were ever really effective um he slowly through time you know he lived in chronic pain for the rest of his life from that point on you know he never he basically never recovered from mm -hmm. it and so eventually did lose the function to walk and to move um you know he slowly went from using a cane to a walker to just really barely being able to use his legs and so, but he did live for a really long time like that, which I think is all of his stubbornness. 
kept him alive to be here with us, uh, you know, and watch his daughters grow up. Wow. How did that influence your life or impact your life? I would say that it really did have a strong influence on overall how I am trying to compartmentalize and learning how to remain functional with some trauma and just, you know, that feeling of overall, you know, this underlying stress, you know, because there's always this kind of concern or stress going on in the household. And then my mother was diagnosed with cervical cancer when I was 17. Mm -hmm. And so that just really compounded everything. And so my father had always been this very like strong, powerful figure in our household. He was the risk taker, the innovator, um, you know, and all of this came from just the need to survive. You know, I mean, he came, he came from extreme levels of poverty and he was just creative and innovative. And he had all sorts of interesting stories of him growing up and the things that he would do to survive. And they're, I mean, like, just so incredibly innovative. And I remember having a conversation with him and saying, wow, dad, oh my gosh, what you did was incredibly smart. I mean, it's totally illegal, but you just <laughs> did it anyway. And it's what helped me, you know, help you survive. And, uh, and he said, you know what? That has nothing to do with being smart. What that took was guts. And I'm like, he was absolutely right. I mean, it was really about guts and confidence. And so, you know, his drive and that ability of just, you know, his biggest advocate and that confidence of his big, biggest advocate was himself. Yeah. yeah and so he really instilled this peace in all of us and especially raising four girls. He never let fear or that as a woman, we couldn't do these things. I mean, he had us up on the roof, tarring the roof when it needed to be done. <laughs> he had us under the sink, fixing plumbing. He never treated us any differently because of gender. So That's fantastic. That's really great to hear. It, it is, especially as a traditional Chinese man. And so I, I just really take so much value in how much I've learned from him. Wow. No, that's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really great one. Um, <laughs> so at 12, this happens to your father. Five years later, your mother is diagnosed with cervical cancer. Five years after that, you lose her. Yeah. So it was actually, it was four years after that. So I was at UC Santa Barbara during that time, finishing up my senior year. And I had my dream internship. So at that time, I was getting a degree in political science and a minor in global peace and security. My passion was really in working in global human rights with a focus in the Asian continent. Mm. And uh, I landed my dream, dream internship in Washington, D.C. at Amnesty International. And I remember spending that summer before I left on the internship with my mom and she was declining, but it was not really clear as to what was happening with her. She was under a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, you think about her husband being disabled and in chronic pain, and she's raising four girls and running their own business. And 
there was just a lot of pressure on her. And I don't really think that she had that opportunity to really spend on her own healing. And I said, I, I don't want to leave you. I don't feel like it's a good idea to go on this internship. She said, this is your dream. You do not put this off. You go to Washington. I'm going to be fine. And so I was there for about five days and my sister had called me and she said that, you know, she just, I remember getting that phone call so clearly and she just said, mom, you know, Melinda, you need to come home. Mom is dying. The doctor is saying that she has you know, 24 to 40 hours to live. Wow. And so you imagine me being in Washington, D.C. and I'm just, okay, I need to get the next flight home. Woke up the next morning and missed my flight. Oh. <laughs> Oh dear. Came home and um, she was, I, I got to spend the last seven days with her in the hospital before she passed away. And we were all there to be able to watch, you know, be by her side and watch her as she passed. And I can tell you it was both the most traumatic and detrimental experience of my life, but also the most beautiful and one of the biggest gifts that has also come to me to really influence and change me. Wow. Um, but you're right. That it's, uh, it leaves an impression that experience it's, um, but at the same time, you feel like you're also glad you were there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that it changed the course of my life forever and has a strong influence on what I do today. And it's that constant reminder of, um, being able to care for myself and, you know, making that so that my priority is to maintain good health and good mental state. Do you think it was that moment, Melinda, when you decided that you were going to become a healer and forego the social justice that had been such an important part of your undergrad studies? I think that very much is still in what I do today. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, social justice within the health world, you know, and health in itself is incredibly political. There's a quote that I often use, and it's a Thich Nhat Hanh quote. If you are connected within your own body, then you're connected with the rest of the world. That's so true. It's so well said. Thank you for quoting that. Yeah, so I, I think that that moment really did shift how I wanted to work. And it wasn't like a moment like, oh my gosh, I'm going to change my life. It was a process. I mean, it was years of healing, years of recognizing my trauma, you know, and like it took me years to even recognize I had trauma at all. I did a lot of soul searching during that time. And so that's when I had, I'd gone home for a year and took care of my dad and, um, and then moved to Lake Tahoe. And this is where I live today. Amazing. Wow. Did you complete the internship with Amnesty International? I did not. No. Mm. I never went back. I just didn't have it in me to leave and be that far away from my family at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, Melinda, when did your grandmother pass? My grandma, only, she passed only a few years ago. Okay. Well, yeah. In there. I remember you sharing how you became a caretaker for your father after your mom passed and uh, you took this uh, job with an insurance company in San Mateo. Share with yeah. us details of that. <laughs> so that was really my first real introduction to natural health and healing. I'd always thought to myself, well, why didn't health insurance cover alternative health care? 
I happened to be sitting at my temp job, <laughs> bored out of my mind, and read this magazine from cover to cover. And on the last page, first health insurance company that was covering holistic healthcare and alternative wellness. It's literally in the town next door to where I'm living with my father or where I grew up. That's so I called nice. them immediately. I mean, it was just oh, like a sign, right? The owner was friends with Andrew Weil. Yeah, I learned about everything. I mean, we, we created the first credentialing system. So I learned what, you know, hypnotherapy was. I learned what Reiki was. I learned what, you know, naturopathic was. I learned what acupuncture was and I mean, all the different modes of health and healing. Melinda, what was it about acupuncture that made you feel like this is the healing modality for me? At that point, I already had all of these ideas in the back of my head that I, I knew I was going to go into some sort of natural health and healing. And I, I love the body work. Mm. And I feel like there's something so powerful in how you work with the physical body along with the mental and the spiritual aspect of the person. Gotcha. And that so I, that was it. I like made up my mind. I was going to go to try, you know, try to go to acupuncture school and I moved back to San Francisco and just worked and then had to do all of my, you know, all of my pre-med work to go back to acupuncture school and just really shift my world. <laughs> and that took about six years. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. And then when did you make the decision to also do formal study of Chinese medicine? Because you went to Zhejiang province to do, uh, do that, right? Yeah. So that was a part of my acupuncture program at five branches. Okay. We studied all over in Hangzhou, you know, just went from clinic to clinic and there's all these different specialty clinics. So um, you make an, a second trip back sort of second relocation as it were uh to lake tahoe and in this instance you create elevate wellness so yeah. share with us about the lead up to that and the decisions to to make that happen um it always been in the back of my mind to come back up to tahoe we really wanted to make the choice of living my lifestyle and then finding my work to support me based on my lifestyle I, I, it was very much taught to me of like, no, you actually do the opposite. <laughs> you go to where you can find a job, yeah. right? <laughs> and then that job is going to help you make lots of money. And then that's going to buy you happiness. Right. Well, that didn't turn out for my family necessarily. No, you're so right. And I, I just I give you credit for having that realization and, and executing on it because what you just shared is uh, the common immigrant theme. Yeah, thank you. I, I just, I really took it as my priority. I mean, believe me, there's many times when I'm like, I miss real Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> you know, and people often say, you can do so much more if you're in the city because, well, you'll have a greater influence. And I was like, I don't think that's true. Mm. My greater influence is working with one person at a time. Mm. My influence okay. is if that person who's in my clinic, and it doesn't matter if they're living in the mountains or they're living in the city, it doesn't matter where they are, right? If that one person has a change 
that they get to experience from being in my office and being inspired, then I've done a good job. Yeah. If yeah. I've taught that person that they shouldn't be trashing their body, so then they're not going to trash the earth, I've done a good job. And it only takes that one, right, to be able to spread that energy and spread that knowledge. And, you know, so it's like at this point, that one has become thousands, mm. you know, after 16 years in practice. I really like what you did with Elevate Wellness because it's not just your clinic. You're also giving a home and a base for other practitioners to see patients and I, I just that holistic approach is uh, is really really thoughtful um what was the genesis of that idea you know i never felt that I, I never felt like there's one medicine that's going to fix everything for anyone i always felt like people need to find and utilize all different tools to be able to really work with their root cause of their condition. So Chinese medicine can be practiced in many different ways, right? So it has this element where we have herbs and treatments for acute conditions. And then we have these herbs and treatments for chronic conditions. But then you have all these other pieces to it where like, am I gonna change how someone is sitting? Mm. And that's what's a part of causing their chronic neck pain I don't think acupuncture can really get into that. And so I find all these other modalities that are really interesting and fascinating to me that work to help everything along, right? So it's like nothing, not one thing works with really being able to address the big picture of a person because you have their structural body, you have their mental state, you have their internal body, you know, so it's like the mental and the spiritual and then you have like their internal body. So I knew that there are many limitations with acupuncture within itself. And so I've always had envisioned wanting to run a wellness center that would utilize different types of modalities all under one roof so that we can meet the true needs of a person on every aspect. And I also never felt like I wanted to, that, you know, people didn't have to rely on this, these modalities to keep them well. That it's really about giving them these, this, these educational tools and helping them reformulate their bodies, whether from a movement perspective or a body work perspective or from an internal perspective, lifestyle. And, let, and that's how you truly heal. That's how you change people. I think it, my sisters and I all have this real internal drive for innovation <laughs> and, <laughs> and entrepreneurship. Well, it was well um, uh, seated by your, your parents. It was very well seated by my parents. And they, um, and what I found is that there's a lot of healthcare providers, you know, it's like, we're all bleeding hearts. We're, mm. we want to just give it away. We want to help everybody, but we're not helping we can't help everybody if we can't help ourselves and if we can't manage our businesses and our practices. So what I found is that I was able to grow a practice really quickly. And um, with that, I wanted to share. I can't work on all these bodies on my own. And I knew that again, acupuncture was not the end all be all. So I started partnering and bringing in other providers okay. and giving them that foundation and the structure of their business 
So they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to think about it. I'm running, I can give you the foundations for you to have a successful practice, share these patients with you, help educate these pieces and help it so that, so that way you can shine and do what you do best. And um, that's really been a part of the formula with Elevate. And, um, you know, I could say that we have an amazing, passionate, talented team of providers. And people often come in and just say like, wow, gosh, I wish I had one of these in like my large city of where I am. (laughs) You know, and they're there. So I do encourage people to look for them because there are these clinics. And, but I really think that from the business model and um, from being able to give people these kind of operational tools to help house and grow and help these talented practitioners thrive is really what's going to be the success of our healthcare system mm. and really help to influence and change, you know, what our conventional healthcare system looks like. And so uh, you also consult with the Barton Center and a few device companies. Yes. About <laughs> so um, right now I am, um, I work as a consultant and also acupuncturist at the Barton Center for Orthopedics and Wellness. And uh, I took that position on about three years ago. And it was really an exciting project for me because I did want to see how the system worked and really, you know, getting this experience because, you know, I've worked as an entrepreneur on my own for a long time. So then it gave me this opportunity of working in this larger hospital system. And seeing how we can get acupuncture and integrated medicine to fit in to um, under their house. And this is like the big trend. This is where people need to be going these days because they're starting to realize that too. Hey, you know, um, working from, you know, a sick perspective to working to a preventative perspective is completely different and that people are starting to look at, we can't just always treat when you're actually symptomatic, we need to prevent things from occurring as well. And, uh, and so I think that, so it's been a really amazing experience of being able to work with them and be a part of their team. With the device, I can't quite talk about that yet. <laughs> so ah, okay. I really like to pick up projects that I'm passionate about yeah. and it has to feel right. Very and I think if more of us can just sit and be in, in tuned enough to just as a simple, exercise of holding a thought in your mind and knowing is, is this supplying me energy or is this draining me? And then being able to just make that decision right away. It's so simple, but it's just that we don't have, we don't take the time to hold that space, right? Yeah. I love the way you frame that. That's a a great paradigm to think about it. Like if there's like one practice of something that I would encourage everyone to do, you know, I wouldn't say it's meditation. I wouldn't say it's breathing. I wouldn't say, you know, because all those practices seem really overwhelming. I think from just a broad perspective is just check in with yourself on a daily basis of just how am I feeling today? Hmm. And then before making any big decisions of, getting to know what it feels like to be excited about something. It's just a feeling, right? It's not a thought process. It's just a feeling of, is this making me feel excited or is this making me feel drained? Yeah. That's so great. 
right? And so it's like, if you can just hold those pieces and make your decisions around that, you always know, right? It's like you kick yourself in the butt afterwards when you're like, I knew it and I shouldn't have done it. I didn't listen to myself. And those are all those the regrets of decisions that you've come to, right? You know, as we go through this COVID-19 experience and we're talking about the new normal, I really appreciated how you said you weren't going to jump on the bandwagon of being just another telemedicine provider because it would undermine the touch aspect of your healing art. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's just my fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I hope that I can, you know, I'm still in the process of, you know, slowly opening up my office. I think that we're so driven to often try to move ourselves in this direction where we're making everything technologically based you know, of even bringing our healthcare to technology, which I find incredible value to. So don't get me wrong. Like, I think that there's incredible value to that, but there's an energy exchange that's missing. There's the physical medicine piece that is so incredibly powerful. And that's what I find with acupuncture is that like half the time you do the physical medicine and it wipes away the complexity of the situation of a patient to bring it down to like, okay, this is what I'm really seeing here. And you can't do that through telemed. It's just really difficult to do. And so, you know, being able to give people supplements and herbal support and lifestyle support, nutrition and stress management tools, I love all of that. But I also am so passionate about the physical medicine pieces. And I've just seen how that changes people's lives that I still really want to be able to support people on that way. Um, Share with us about your TED Talk. So the TED Talk is a true story. I had always just said that, you know, I quit, I quit smoking and picked up breathing. (laughs) And and I realized that when I'd gone through this process of quitting smoking, that it wasn't really this. And I, I understand there's a lot of addiction around nicotine. Not saying nicotine is not addictive. Addictive, it absolutely is addictive. But there's many. For me, it wasn't the nicotine that I was addicted to. It was really that process of just checking out and taking a break and doing this deep inhalation and exhalation. When I went to this meditation retreat, I realized like, I I mean, I quit smoking. I went in there and I was smoking. <laughs> I was still practicing acupuncture. I was smoking. I can't drink alcohol. I'm allergic. So it was like my one vice that I have. I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink alcohol. It was like my one vice that I had for myself. And I didn't want to let it go. And for many years, I smoked on and off. But finally going to that meditation retreat, it was like, it just woke me up and realized that I didn't need it because I had a deeper sense of how to calm my nervous system. So my joke was, you know, just take a smoke break, you know, but put down the cigarette but give yourself the breathing break. Why is it that like our culture, like our ego is so much hung up around like how hard we can push ourselves and how much we can do and how much we can take on. And that is not a great way of surviving well. In terms of longevity, it then contributes to chronic health and disease. And there's not one patient that comes in, even when they tell me that they're not stressed, they're not stressed in relation to something else, right? So they always have this underlying 
stress. And I know that. And I think many of us do witness that as a part of our lives. Being able to do that TEDx with the smoking and, you know, taking a smoke break or take a break is, was um, just a real fun opportunity to make it so that it's engaging and that people get it. Cause I'm not talking about anything that's like out of this realm that they don't understand. Cause I think we've all experienced that. Yeah. So true. Melinda, this has been a really phenomenal conversation. It's Thank really you. Good. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.